We're in the middle of a kind of a little mini-series on uh, small groups. Our ministry is going to be kicking off here in a week or so, a couple weeks, actually. And, and um, we want to make sure that we lay down the proper foundation for uh, our, the, the ministry of our, our, of our small groups. And we don't want it just to be another uh, thing that you go to or a thing that you sign on for. And so we've kind of entitled this Creating Community in Our Midst. And it's kind of important that we understand that um, community just doesn't happen. Fellowship just doesn't happen um, naturally. It's something that has to be uh, worked at. It's something that has to be um, uh, prayed about and considered. And we've looked at uh, a couple different things over the past uh, weeks. And uh, we looked at why we want to do these grace care groups. Uh, first of all, we're, we're looking at the basic scripture and how it underlines the centrality of relationships. You know, the, God didn't save you to be an island. He created you to be part of his church. And uh, uh, that's a big part of it. Uh, grace care groups offers a place to develop hopefully intimate relationships and fellowship. They're also founded, we want them to be founded on sound doctrine and clear biblical purpose. That's why we're kind of laying some foundation here. And we don't want to just offer or have them. We want it to make up the foundation of our church because that's what happened in the New Testament. It says they went house to house and they fellowship with one another and they were under the apostles' teaching and they had uh, breaking of bread together in prayer and study of his word. Uh, but there's four clear goals that we wanted to look at as far as what we want to come out of these small groups. And the first one was progressive sanctification. And we talked about the difference between sanctification and justification. And in case you weren't here, real quick, justification is when God declares you just before Him. You were unholy, you put your faith in Christ, and at that moment He declares you just. It's a one-time thing. It's like a judge going and forgiving a traffic violation. It's one time. They can't come back two weeks later and say, hey, wait a minute, we changed our mind. When God declares you just, the Word of God says that that's exactly what happens. It's, a, it's in that second, all of a sudden, you're standing before God changes. And someone who was unrighteous and, and unholy becomes righteous and becomes holy, not because they earned it, not because they did something, they tried to clean themselves up. It doesn't work that way. That's what religion does for you. Religion says, well, we'll clean you up. They want to call you in and make you just like them and, you know, and, and make you do all the things that they want you to do. Any world religion, that's what they do. But Christianity is different. It's not what you do. It's what was done on your behalf on the cross. That's what we put our faith in. That's what the foundation of our faith is all about. And so justification is that one-time act. Progressive sanctification is God continually working in our lives. We're just, but we're not holy, practically. I don't know about you, but I sin every day. And as a result of that sin, God's trying to mold me and make me more and more into the image of His Son. And so sanctification is a process where it becomes less about me and more about Christ. It's, it's less about sin and more about righteousness. It's more about being obedient. And that's a progressive thing. You don't just get saved and then live a perfect life the rest of your, your life. It doesn't work that way. We're left here on this earth for trials and tribulation, and uh, we have to deal with that somehow. And God allows us to go through that process of sanctification to become more like His Son. One day, we will be in the image of Christ. We'll have our glorified bodies, and we'll be in the, the presence of God. What a wonderful, incredible day that will be. 
Like that song said, I can't even imagine <laughs> what it's going to be like to stand in the presence of our Lord, our Creator. Well, God's in the process of making us more ready for that event as the days go on. So the first object of these grace care groups is to become more sanctified. And the way you do that is you come together as a group of people and pretty soon there's some accountability, there's some intimacy, there's some friendships. So it's not just it's hard when you're in a small group just to come to church once a week because you're also going to a small group. And in the small group, you can't just kind of filter in and hide in the corner. Nobody's going to talk to you. No, people are going to interact with you. And there's going to be some dialogue and there's going to be some interaction. And so when you do that, hopefully that's going to cause you to become more like Christ. And that happens in these small groups. Secondly, we looked at the idea of mutual care, how important it is for us to have mutual care one for another. And then thirdly, fellowship. And then fourthly, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Those were the four reasons that we did it. And we talked about the means of sanctification, how it happens through relationships. And we looked at, at uh, some men in the Bible and how some had no accountability and, and some had, uh, David had Nathan, Solomon had nobody, even though he's the wisest man that ever lived. He got, he got himself in a heap of trouble because there's no accountability in his life. There's no one to answer for him. David had Nathan and, and it, it just works out that way. And then also God's Word. We looked at James 1, 22 to 24 and how it's so important not to just look in the mirror and walk away. We don't want to just come here Sunday, hear something from God's Word and walk away and say, yeah, whatever. It didn't affect me at all. You know, it doesn't matter who's, you know, presenting the message that morning either. See, we get confused. Sometimes we think it's all about, you know, the, the person who's, who's dishing it out. It's not about that person. If it is, we're in a world of trouble. I'll tell you right now, you know, because it's it's not it's about the credibility of God's word. It's about the power that's in the gospel of Christ. You know, I don't have the power to change somebody's life. No way. It's in the power of the gospel. That's why we shouldn't be ashamed of it. That's why we should share it openly, because we realize that that's how God changes lives. So it's not about. The personality of the person sharing. Some people are more animated. Some people aren't. You know, different personalities teach different ways, preach different ways. It's not about that. It's about focusing on what they're saying as far as God's Word is concerned and how we take it from their lips and put it into our hearts and our lives. And, and it's not their words. It's God's Word. And then we live it out. We're obedient. We're called to mutual care. 1 Corinthians 12, 24-26 states that very clearly. We're called to carry one another's burdens. It says, in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2. It's just kind of important. We looked at this last week. Fellowship is not warm human exchange. It's definitely not social events. It has nothing to do with just going to a Bible study. And it has nothing to do with sharing doctrinal viewpoints. Or it's definitely not group therapy. So those things fellowship is not. Now, fellowship may happen in some of those Things, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about just social interaction here. We're talking about an experience that's uniquely Christian. Do you realize that nobody else in the world can have the kind of fellowship that we're talking about? It's impossible outside of Christ. Koinonia, the idea of sharing, having something in common with one another. That's what they did in the New Testament. It talks about not just sharing, but also participating. You know, God didn't save spectators. He didn't save you to sit 
in church Sunday after Sunday and just watch what goes on around you. That's not why God saved you. He saved you to participate in, in the work of the gospel in this world that's dying, lost and dying quickly on its way to hell. He, he wants us to be involved, to share the message of the gospel. It's a sharing. Acts 2.42 says that they came together in common. Philemon 1.6 we defined it this way, participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. That's why outside of Christ it's impossible to have the kind of fellowship that we're talking about here. It's a sharing of something in common at the deepest possible level of any human relationship. And that's the experience with our Creator God Himself. And so we want to make sure that we have this mutual care going on. We don't want it just to be another group that we get together. And we talked about last week how it has to start with God. You can't have this kind of fellowship if you're outside of Christ. It's just impossible. Fellowship with God is a prerequisite to fellowship with one another. See, it's, it's, it's not just about coming to church. You know, sometimes we get these preconceived ideas. Well, what is a Christian? What, what does it mean to have fellowship with God? How do I do this? Well, you know what? Coming to church on a Sunday doesn't make you a Christian, beloved. It just doesn't. No more than going to a Giants game makes you a Giant, or going to a 49ers game makes you a 49er. It doesn't work that way. You, know, you put some shoulder pads on, you get down there and mix it up with the big boys on the field, then you, know, you can consider yourself a 49er. But until that day, you're not a 49er. What are you? You're a spectator. You may love the 49ers or the Giants or whatever your preference is as far as sports. But you're not really part of the team. Why? Because you're not down there. <laughs> you're just not. And see, a lot of people, they'll come to church thinking that they're part of the team. They're on God's side. When in fact, they may not be. And mutual care is something this fellowship we're talking about has to start with this prerequisite to fellowship with others, it has to be have our fellowship with God established first. And we looked at 1 John 3, 6 and 7. 1 John 1, 3, and then verses 6 and 7. And so it's important that we understand that without God, without having that fellowship with Christ, we can't have fellowship one with another. Biblical fellowship we're talking about here. Like I said, we're not just talking about some, you know, touchy-feely kind of a thing. It's, it's more about, it's a lot deeper than that. And it's unfortunate, but the world, world has taken that word fellowship and they've diluted it down to basically it means nothing. And so we need to stop and we have to remember that God calls us to this. This is not an option for the Christian. This kind of participation is not optional. It's just not. But it has to start with God, first of all. In 1 John it says, We proclaim to you and we see, we've seen what we've seen and what we've heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is who? Is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. If we claim we talked about this, we have fellowship with Him and yet we walk in darkness. The Word of God says that we're liars. We don't live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. It's important that when John talks here, he's not talking about 
I proclaim to you, and I this, I that. No, he's saying we proclaim to you. See, we have this in common. If we claim to have fellowship with God, and yet we walk, and you notice the, 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 the pronouns are all plural, and that's the way it works in the New Testament. It's not about just you. It's about being part of a, a bigger community called the Church of Christ. And we looked at this. There's two, one source of fellowship. We talked about that. But two channels. And the two channels are, first of all, the work of the Spirit in our hearts. You know, sometimes God wants to touch our hearts in a certain way. He wants to uh, talk to us in a certain way through His Word, through, you know, uh, different, you know, through the Spirit just impressing upon us as we're reading His Word and things like that. That's one way. But also, it's through the work of the Spirit through other believers. And we don't like that way a lot of times. You know, who are they to tell me? You know, and sometimes I think that we just get hung up with the whole thing and we just want to turn off God's voice altogether. Sometimes we presume that God will never speak to you through anyone who's not at a specific level of maturity or holiness. So we're always looking down thinking, you know, who are they to tell me? Or some people use the world's oldest excuse. They presume that several people, if there's several people involved in some sin, then what you did is somehow less serious if you had acted alone. Now, if there's a group doing it, it's okay, that kind of thing. And, and you know, that's not true. God, God can use a group of people to keep us on our track of holiness. Sometimes God's trying to talk to us and we play like Jonah and we just turn tail and run. We don't want to hear it. Because we, we're afraid where God may lead us in our lives. Or we might be like Peter. Turn over to Mark chapter 14. I just want to look at this quickly. Mark 14. See, the problem with Peter was that he began to place more faith in what he said about his strengths than in what God said about his weaknesses. And we have a tendency to do that sometimes. We place more faith in what we say are our strengths than what God points out are our weaknesses. Look at Mark 14, beginning in verse 27. I'll just read this for us. Verse 26, And when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Interesting thing about sheep. You know, sheep are never attacked generally when they're in a, a flock. It just doesn't happen. That's what a shepherd will tell you. But it's that one sheep that kind of wanders off. They're all by themselves. That's the one that's, hey, that's game, that's prey. Look out, because they're going to be somebody's dinner really quick. And see, sometimes we have to remember that, that we're called to be a flock of believers. We're not called to independence. That's what the world tells us. You know, you're independent, you don't need people, you just do your own thing and, you know, come in here on Sunday and do your thing and that's it. That's not it. That's not the kind of church we want to be. We want to be an authentic New Testament community church. And it said they had fellowship together. They enjoyed one another. And here's Peter 
Look at what he says. But after, verse 28, but after I have been raised, Jesus is saying this, I will go before you to Galilee. Then Peter said to him in verse 29, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. In other words, hey, not me. Anybody else goes, but not me. That's what Peter is doing. Open up foot, insert mouth. You know, I, we had a uh, professor from Dallas. He's actually the president of Dallas Theological Seminary now. Uh, Mark Bailey, Dr. Mark Bailey came to our chapel one time. And I remember he did a thing on Peter. He was talking about discipleship. And he talked about Peter. And he said, you know, I like to call him Pendulumic Peter. He's just back and forth, back and forth. One side, he's over here, rah, rah, rah. The next side, he's falling. And then he's back and forth. And that's sometimes how we live our Christian lives. Back and forth. One day we're up, one day we're down. And, Peter, and Jesus said to Peter in verse 30, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And look at what he does. Rather than saying, well, you know, I am talking to God here and Jesus. I mean, obviously I've seen him do some miracles. He must know what's going on in my heart. He probably knows something about the future. It says he spoke more vehemently. In other words, he reacted. Kind of got in Jesus' face, if you will. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. See, we always get on Peter. But we somehow forget this little phrase at the end of 31. Look at what it says. And they all said what? Likewise. All the other oh, yeah, but we're with Peter. You know, we'll never deny you, Lord. But, you know, because, because Peter was the outspoken one, he just kind of put it into words. They were all thinking it, and they were total in agreement with what Peter said. I jump down to verse 66. Stuff happens here in between, but we're not going to win all that. Now, verse 66, as Peter was below the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest, remember the same day, same evening, and when she saw Peter warning, warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. You know, that's kind of a convenient excuse sometimes when we lie, isn't it? Somebody asks us a question and we lie and then they catch, oh, well, you know, I misunderstood your question. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, oh, you mean that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, just, we change our answer because we know we're caught in a mistruth and a lie, and so you know we don't want we don't want to be considered a liar. So then we conveniently, oh, wait, I didn't understand what you were asking me. I'm sorry. You see that all the time on on, on police shows, cops or whatever. You know, do you have any drugs in the car? No, no, not at all. Do you mind if I yeah go ahead and search the car? You, you don't have any drugs? No, don't. They go search the car, pull out all sorts of stuff. What's, well, I didn't know you meant in the car. You know, they start changing their story like they misunderstood. And that's what he's saying. Oh, I didn't even, you know, I don't even know what you're talking about here, lady. I, I just, I, I don't want to talk about this right now. You can imagine what's going on in Peter's heart. <clears throat> he says, I don't know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch. And what happens? A rooster crowed. <clears throat> and the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. It's kind of a little fly that won't go away. You know, this, <laughs> there he goes, you know, let's point him out again. 
And he went out on the porch of Rooster Crow. The servant girl saw him again and said, Hey, this is one of them. Verse 70. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, third time, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And your speech shows it. See, it would have been better if Peter just didn't even respond. He just walked away and slipped into the crowd. But Peter kind of had a mouth that couldn't stop talking sometimes and got him in trouble. He says, by your speech, we know who you are. And then look at what happens. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. It's hard to believe that this is a guy just a couple verses goes, hey, anybody, everybody else may do it, but I'm not, Lord. I'm with you. You look at verse 72. A second time the rooster crowed, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And you can see his heart. And when he thought about this, he what? He wept. He wept. See, sometimes we put more emphasis on what we say about our strengths. Oh, I don't deal with that. I, you know, I, I'm above that. I'm above this. And we kind of have a spiritual pride going on than what God says about our weaknesses. Sometimes we have to understand what God says are areas of our life that we're weak in. Not just be all inflated because maybe we don't deal with some sins that other people deal with. It doesn't mean we don't deal with sin. We all deal with sin in a, in a myriad of ways. But sometimes when God is trying to speak to our hearts, and one of those ways is through the Spirit, the other one is through the Spirit, through other believers, we just kind of well, we play like Jonah, play like Peter. We don't want to hear it. Christ was trying to tell Peter something. He didn't want to hear it. We have to have an open heart when it comes to God working in our lives. Fellowship is sharing with our fellow believers the things that God has made known to us about Himself in hope that we may thus help them to know Him better and so enrich their fellowship with Him. That's what we're called to do. Fellowship is seeking to share what God has made known to Himself to others as a means to finding strength, refreshment, and instruction for one's own soul. J.I. Packer said that. And that's what fellowship is all about. It's not about getting together and talking about your work, your job, sports teams. That's not it. It's about coming together and speaking about the things of Christ. That's what true biblical fellowship is. Well, how do we do this? The means of fellowship. First of all, you know, have you ever heard of the means of grace? That phrase... In theology, it refers to things that we can do, such as pray and meditate on Scripture, things like that, uh, to put ourselves in a position to, to really receive something from God. Well, fellowship is a means of grace, too. It's a way of, of getting to a place where God will meet us. <coughs> so the next question, obviously, is, well, what are the means of fellowship? How do we kind of spur this fellowship on? I think, first of all, it's worshiping together. Notice the word together. It's not worshiping by yourself. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But when we come together in a small group or we come together even on Sunday morning, it's not about your individual 
worship with God. That has nothing to do with what goes on here on Sunday morning. We're called to corporate worship. That means we worship together with God. It's not about your individual style, your individual preference. It has nothing to do with it. It's not about what message you want to hear or what song. You, that has nothing to do with it. That shouldn't even enter into our mind. But because we're fallen, it does all the time. You know, the last song of the worship. You know, didn't sing my song today. Oh, I just ruined the whole day. You know? you're, you're, you're griping and whining about that to yourself the rest of the service. And you're missing maybe what God has for you. Don't get me wrong. We want to know, hey, if you enjoy certain songs, let us know. We'll try to fit them in and sing them. I'm not, I'm not saying that we have some direct line to God or what songs we sing. I'm open. I need all the help I can get, frankly. So if you got some hymns or whatever that, hey, you know, we haven't sang that in a while, write it down. I told it this morning. Put it in a little jar back there, and we'll fit it in in the coming weeks. But see, it's not about that. You know, if we sing your song one Sunday and we don't, the next, it's, one Sunday shouldn't be better than the next. Because we're called to worship together. Worship is a means of experiencing fellowship with God through meditating upon and declaring the truth about Him, which we find in His Word. It, it involves giving thanks to Him and receiving a, a sense of His presence here on Sunday morning. Fellowship with God includes worship. And when we are into that state of worship all of a sudden our fellowship with one another opens up. We become less selfish and me-oriented. And all of a sudden we're worshiping together as a church and that pleases God. Secondly, when we pray for one another. When we pray for one another. That, that, that creates a sense of fellowship. It's a means of fellowship. When we come together in a small group and, and you're sharing requests and we're praying, and then throughout the weeks God answers those prayers and you come together and the next week and you're going, man, God answered this prayer. We were praying for this for three weeks. And look, God answered the prayer. I met a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time, a couple of years probably, down at uh, the seminar or the conference we went to. And I went to, to college with him. And uh, he's a little bit older than me. But... You know, we're both in ministry now and stuff, and, and we were talking. And uh, the first thing, you know, I asked him, how, how's your church going? He goes, great. He goes, but I can't, i, I got to tell you something else. I said, what? He goes, you know, you remember I, I, last time we met, it was a couple years ago, he's, he said, remember I told you one of my sons was kind of, one of my twin sons was not walking with the Lord? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, you know, I, I know you probably didn't pray for him all this, all this time, but he goes, I did ask you to, to pray for him then, and we did pray right there. And he goes, I just want to let you know that you know, uh, a week or so ago, I, don't, I can't remember the time, but a week or so ago, he was, he was saved. Gloriously saved. He's in the army. He gave his heart to Christ. It's not the same. He's brand And this guy was just beaming about that. And we must have talked about that for, you know, 15 minutes. Why? Because he had shared that need with me before. And, and, you know, not that I've been praying. You know, I probably prayed that time with him there and forgot about it. But you know what? It's important to realize that that connected us at a deeper level. I haven't seen him since. But you know what? It connected us. And when we come together and, and we share things that are a burden to us and how God is working in our lives when we're praying together, I mean, it's about as close as you can get. 
with someone else's fellowship with God and knowing the qualities of his relationship with the Lord. Now, it's interesting. You can learn about a lot about somebody when you sit in a room and you pray with them and just listen to their prayers. You can learn a lot about somebody. And that's what kind of helps this fellowship happen. Not only worshiping God together, but also praying for one another. It's funny because prayer meetings in general at any church are the least attended meeting at all. I mean, I, I, I believe that we could be giving out, you know, uh, cod liver samples and we'd have more people to that than a prayer meeting. I'm serious. I mean, I, I don't know why it is. You know, and, and some people get around it this way. Well, you know, I just don't feel comfortable praying in a small group. Or Who are you talking about? All of a sudden, you're talking about yourself again. You know, has God commanded you to pray with one another or not? Very clear. It says pray without ceasing over and over. Throughout the Word, it says it's a sample an example that Christ laid down for us. We're called together as a body to pray together. Well, why is it then that the prayer meeting of any church is the least attended meeting? Because I don't believe that we believe that God answers prayer. I think somehow we forgot that God is a God who answers prayer. Because it's not a priority, clearly. I mean, if we had a meeting next Thursday night and I said, hey, everybody comes to this meeting is going to get $1,000 cash. You'd probably be here. When you walked in the door, if we gave you there 10 $100, crisp $100 bills, and the next week I said, you know, next week it's going to be, you know, whatever, $2,000. You probably tell a friend, man, you gotta come to this. This is incredible. They're giving away money. And you would come and you'd, you'd get it. Boy, this is great. You'd probably make changes in your schedule to be here. But a prayer meeting. Who wants to go to a prayer meeting? Boring. Besides, I don't have anything to pray for. I'm pretty well off and pretty well taken care of. And I don't have any needs. I, 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 I. It's not what it's about. And you know what? It's, it's across the board, beloved. Many times I've sat over there in the fellowship hall for a prayer meeting with my wife, sitting there going, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Nobody else is here. What's the use of this? Nobody's attending this. Why are we still doing this? We could do this at home in our living room. Then watch CSI or something. And I mean, why are we here? Then God taps you on the shoulder and says, because I told you to be. <laughs> I told you to come together as His people and pray. Not just for an exercise. It's not just to, just to pray and that's it. It ends there. Constantly speaking to my heart. Hopefully, Steve, you know when you're praying that I am listening to your prayers and, and I will answer those prayers according to my will. And you know what's interesting about prayer? The more you pray, it seems the more you, you begin to learn how to pray within the will of God. And as you begin to pray within the will of God, all of a sudden, God begins to shower down His blessings and you begin to see your prayers answered. And that motivates you. 
But for some reason, we think that God doesn't answer prayer anymore. Or we just think, well, I'll just stay home and pray at home. It's not about that. It's about doing what God has commanded us to do. Read, read the book of Acts. I mean, they came out and they, they spent time together in His Word. They spent time together lifting one another up in prayer. I guarantee you when the day comes when Christianity is illegal, all of a sudden we're finding ourselves sneaking around and, and trying to, to get together as believers. And the church is persecuted in America in a way that it has never seen. That day is coming, beloved. I mean, it may not be around the corner, but it's coming. I bet you'll put a little more emphasis on prayer then. <laughs> Especially prayer with other believers. We need to take heart to those things. Third thing. Not only worship God together, pray for one another, but also use our spiritual gifts. Utilize our spiritual gifts in helping others to grow. That's what God has called us together as a body of Christ to do. If fellowshipping is participating together in the Spirit, well, the obvious participation factor there is that we serve one another through the grace gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit. I mean, do you think that the Holy Spirit gave you certain gifts? And everybody, every believer has gifts, spiritual gifts. If you don't know what yours are, there's ways that you can figure it out. Go through the membership class. We have a little gifts assessment thing that you can take. It's not fast and sure. You know, it's like, you know, it's not like taking a test. It just kind of points you in the direction. You know, that's between you and God what your gifts are. I don't know what your spiritual gifts are. Some of them you can see in people, people that are real hospitable. Well, you know, God has really gifted them with that, that, that personality and that ability to reach out to others and make them feel at home. And, and then you have people like me that just, you know, don't have that gift necessarily. So it's, it's kind of, you know, it runs the gamut. But we're all different. But the idea is that we utilize our spiritual gifts to help others grow. I mean, when's the last time you, you got up Sunday morning and said, man, I can't wait to go to church this morning. I'm going I'm to impact somebody's life today. I want to touch somebody's life in our congregation by, through, through the Spirit's power and, and, and by, by, by God's mercy and grace in my life. I want to encourage another brother or sister in the Lord or I want to somehow impact somebody else's life this morning. Usually that's not our attitude. You know, we're dragging ourselves through the week, you know, just to get to Sunday morning. And then we're fighting all the way till in the car till we get here. And then we come in and then we sit down. Bless me, God. You know, That's silly. I think something of, of this nature when we come before God to worship Him together takes some preparation. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't stay up late Saturday nights usually. <laughs> usually I don't stay up late. Usually I don't like to do anything after 5 o'clock on a Saturday night. There's, I mean, obviously exceptions to that. But I, I kind of want to have my plate cleared so that I can kind of focus on what God wants to do here Sunday morning. We don't want to just drag ourselves in here. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not like you're going to work. You know, I mean, you're coming here to worship God, the Lord, God Creator. And you're, you're, you're coming to, together to do it with other brothers and sisters who have been forgiven of their sin just like you have. And you have that in common. You have that bond. What a wonderful thing. We can come together and use our spiritual gifts that God has given us to help others grow in the Lord. It's important that we do that. Fourth 
means of fellowship is we carry one another's burdens. Look over at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And then he says this, Bear one another's burdens. And what? So fulfill the law of Christ. And he even goes on there in verse 3, If anyone thinks himself to be something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, that's the problem with us. We have a thing called pride that's rooted in our hearts. And the reason we're not bearing one another's burdens is because we're not sharing <laughs> one another's burdens. Frankly, we come here, we want everybody to think everything's hokey-dokey, paste a smile on our face, and do the church thing, and then we leave in the afternoon and go back to our little routine. That's what it's all about. means of fellowship is we worship God together. We pray for one another. We use our spiritual gifts to, to help each other, help a brother, sister, and the Lord. We carry one another's burdens. That's what we're called to do. If we're not spending time together, how are we going to carry one another's burdens? I remember when I was down in the desert one time and we had this... I was doing something at the house. I can't remember what it was, but... I asked somebody to maybe come and help me do something. I think it was move or something. And uh, we were moving maybe. And, you know, the person came. They showed up. But it was after the truck was already loaded. Literally. And he looked at the truck and he looked at me and he looked at uh, Dan, who was the elderly man who helped me. He was the only one that helped me load the whole truck. He said, oh, I, I didn't know you had, I, I didn't know. <laughs> Whatever, I mean, I told you you're at five, you're at seven, it's done. <laughs> you know, nothing to do about it. But why didn't he help me carry my burden? Because he wasn't there. And sometimes, by our own choosing, we don't want to be there. Because we don't want to, it gets messy sometimes. When we've got to carry one another's burdens, or somebody's got to carry our burden. I mean, look at Galatians one or six one. It says, "If someone is caught in a sin, I don't know about you, but I don't like people to know my sins. That's a humiliating process to go through when people know your sins. But you know what? That's what happens in a small group. That's what happens in a church that's that's a healthy church, and we're bearing one another's burdens. See, somehow we got the idea that we got to get cleaned up to come through this door back here. And so when we walk in here, we got to put on everything that's perfect. And you know, how's it going? Oh, fine, brother. Hey, great. You know, doesn't you know? It's like the, if you ever see the commercial on TV, the guy that's he's he's riding on his lawnmower and he goes, "Hey, I have a four bedroom house, and I got a pool in the yard, and I got a boat, and I got a look at the tractor I got and everything." And he's smiling the whole time. He's going, "I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Please, somebody." Help help me. And he's smiling the whole time. I mean, to look at his demeanor, you'd think, boy, this guy's got a maid. That's what we do on Sunday morning. We walk in here Sunday morning, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And then we wonder why we walk out the door, nobody cares about me. Because we haven't let down our guard. 
We haven't dropped our pride and, 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 and opened up to people. And that's not easy. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't happen just because you're in a small group. That takes weeks in a committed small group for that to even break through to that level. And even more so in a group this size. But we need to be committed, beloved, to carry one another's burdens. Those are the means of fellowship. Look at this quote. Those first Christians of Acts 2 were not devoting themselves to social activities, but to a relationship. A relationship that consisted of sharing together the very life of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They understood that they had entered this relationship by faith in Jesus Christ, not by joining an organization. And they realized that their fellowship with God logically brought them into fellowship with one another. It's so, I think, important for us to understand that. He says, through their union, Jerry Bridges, with Christ, they were formed into a spiritually organic community. We must grasp the idea that fellowship means belonging to one another in the body of Christ, along with all the privileges and responsibilities that such a relationship entails. You know, there's, there is some responsibility of being part of a body of Christ. And even being part of the local church. If you don't agree with me, just look at some of the things I wrote down there in your notes. House rules for a godly, for God's family. Look at the things that we're told to do. The one another's of Scripture. Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Be joined to one another. Devoted. Honor. Rejoice with one another. Weep. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Counsel one another. Greet one another. Agree with each other. Wait for one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Bear with one another. Teach. Admonish each other. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Spur one another on to good works is what it says there in Hebrews. Offer hospita hospitality to one another. Minister gifts to one another. Be humble towards one another. Confess your sins to one another. When's the last time we've done that? Pray for one another. Fellowship with one another. And you can look up all those verses. They're right there. And you know what? These are not options. It's not like you can look at this list and say, well, let's see. I like to, yeah, I'll just love one another. You know, this, this uh, confessing your sin, that gets a little ugly. I don't want to go there. These are all commands for believers who are part of the body of Christ. These are not options. This is what we're expected to do. You know, it's kind of like when you get a new job and you go in the first day and the guy gives you a list a job description. You know, you don't sit there the first day and go, now, okay, I understand that you, you, know, you want me to, to, to be over the mail room and, and clean the copier once a week and, and this and that. But, you know, down here, this, this uh, cleaning the break room, I, I just don't do that. Sorry. You would never do that if you wanted the job. If it's part of your job description, you would do it. That's part of our job description. We're called to minister to one another. We're called to share that together. That happens within Fellowship. You know, I'll never forget, and I shared a little bit about this last Sunday, but I'll never forget the turmoil that was going on in my heart concerning some of our financial, my financial uh, situation before. I just made some bad decisions, did some bad things, and, and as a result of that, you know, I got in a situation where it, it looked like there was no way out. And I can't tell you the relief it was to sit down 
with our brothers in Christ here and and piece you know kind of peel by peel peel back the onion <laughs> and let them see see my life for what it was and it wasn't pretty it wasn't fun but you know what i remember going home that night thinking Whew. i mean you know you're at, you're at the bottom of the bottom i mean basically you know not by them just by yourself and you know and everything that's gone on and and then you know i had to go home and tell my wife everything about our financial situation she had no clue and i mean it was crazy and it was pride that, that got me to that point but you know what it was such a relief when I was able to, to come together and share that with other brothers. I mean, it's almost like they took part of the burden upon themselves. And I, I know some of them physically did. Physically. I mean, it affected them physically. But you know what? It eased my burden as a result of that. That's what, that's what can happen when we share that kind of fellowship. We worship God together. We pray for one another. We use our spiritual gifts. We carry one another's burdens. Also, we share our spiritual experiences. When's the last time you just sat somebody down and said, you know what, I'm going to tell you my testimony. It's wonderful to do that. I'm going to share with you how God used me last week or, or how God is working in my life. I'm going to share a spiritual experience with somebody. That helps us with fellowship. Confess our sins to one another. We said that under the one another's. Correct one another. We don't like that one either. At least I don't. Um, <laughs> serve one another. Okay, there's a, that's, those are things that, that increase the base of our, our fellowship with one another. If, if you can look at that list and say, well, you know, I kind of come to church, I'm worshiping God with one another, but I don't pray with anybody. I don't use any spiritual gifts. I'm not carrying anybody's burdens. I don't share any spiritual experience with anybody. I don't confess my sins to one another. That's for sure. I feel very uncomfortable doing that. I never have corrected anybody. And basically, I don't like to serve, so I don't do that either. You're lacking with some kind of fellowship in your life. There's some, you're missing something there. We're called to confess our sins to one another. We're called to correct one another. See, the way the church is supposed to work, beloved, is the correction should be, be among the body. Very seldom does it come to a point where the elders of a church have to, to kind of impose some, some uh, spiritual discipline, church discipline in a situation. I think in a healthy church, most of those things get worked out already before it ever gets to that level. They should, if this is going on. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. Matthew 18 is very clear. Serve one another. Serve one another in practical ways. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, getting the wash bin and, and washing somebody's feet. However, that would probably be a, a great dose of humility for most of us. Not very practical. Think of some practical ways that we can serve one another. Think of a young couple that maybe has a, has a, a couple kids or whatever. They haven't been out in ages. Maybe you need to come alongside them and get to know the kids and feel they're comfortable and say, hey, you know, yeah, I'd watch them at night or whatever. So you guys can go do something for a couple hours. Love to do that for you. So, I mean, these are lawn cuts, tires, whatever, oil change. I mean, there's so many ways that you can help someone serve one another practically. And these are all, notice, these are a means of fellowship. That doesn't mean that you, just because you do one of these, you're having fellowship. 
True fellowship is the work of the Spirit of grace. That's what it is. And as with the, the tango dance, it takes two to fellowship. And frankly, not everyone wants to dance. So sometimes it's, it's kind of difficult. Sometimes it takes some time to build that relationship. Well, quickly, what are, what are some hindrances to fellowship? First of all, self-sufficiency. This sin basically announced to God and everybody else that we're adequate in ourselves. We don't need anybody, thank you very much. It reveals itself in a lack of prayer. Because by, by, by not praying, then you're basically demonstrating to God that, you know, I don't need you. i got everything covered, thank you very much. If I get in a real snag, I'll, I'll give you a holler, but right now I'm, I'm fine. And it, it comes out in a, in a, in a, in a form that, that kind of shows everybody a lack of fellowship. And people that are kind of self-sufficient are under the delusion they don't need God and they definitely need the people of Christ, the people of the church. They're an island unto themselves. And I'm not talking just a personality thing. I mean, I could be an island unto myself and you know, just my personality, but I know it would be wrong. And a lot of times, you know, Christians are constantly drawn to 1 Corinthians 12 and, and, and other New Testament passages about spiritual gifts. And sometimes people are saying, what are my spiritual gifts? What are my spiritual gifts? We need each other, beloved. That's what, the, that's what the text is teaching. It's not just about gifts. The broader view of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, reveals the issue that we need each other. That's why God has called all of us with different gifts together into one body. And if you're trying to say that you can become all God wants you to be without the means of fellowship, you can't can't say that. It's not a biblical statement to make. In our self-sufficient day and age, we tend to ignore fellowship. But then all of a sudden we're hit with a crisis. So what are we doing? Man, we're burning up the phone. Like, hey, you need to pray for so-and-so. You know, oh, can you pray? You know, going through the directory, calling everybody to prayer. Why? Because we're in crisis mode. But in everyday life, eh, we're self-sufficient. You know, that's how we treat God sometimes. It grieves his heart. It grieves other people's hearts as well. We shouldn't treat the body of Christ that way. Second thing, formality. A lot of times we're just caught up in this whole formality thing and you know all these rules and standards and, and all this stuff for you know, social settings and sometimes these, these, these things get in the way. Statement like, you, know, you don't talk about your private life with other people. You don't talk about your private life with other people. You just don't do that. That's wrong. Well, I don't know about you, but if I don't talk about my private life with you, you're going to have a skewed view of who I am. Because if you think all I am is what you see on Sunday morning, man, you're, you're far mistaken. You know, Sunday mornings, I'm down here in my sweats. Just, you know, I mean, if you, you know, and, and then, you know, I, I run home. And then, I, you know, like about 8.15, hopefully being back here by 8.30 today, we were late. Sorry, Ken, but... Uh, so then, you know, because I go home, I put on a suit, and I rush back over here. And I often thought, I thought, what if I just stayed here, walked up here with sweats on, sneakers, T-shirt, 
usually it's a navy t-shirt or something, and just preached a message. Will you be so distracted? What's he doing? Oh, I can't believe he wore that. What, what is going on? Formality. You know, I don't mind dressing up. I mean, I have to. My wife makes me. But, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a big deal. I mean, I'd love just to, just to wear a t-shirt or something. And I understand that we have a certain standard. I'm not downplaying that. We don't want to look sloppy and, you know, that kind of a thing. But there's nothing wrong with casual dress, surely. I mean, putting a tie around your neck and then tightening up to, to almost death sentence proportions doesn't make sense to me. And then when your wife says, you know what, I'm not going above a 17-inch neck. I'm not going above a 34-inch waist. Either you fit into the clothes you got or I don't know what you're going to do. Kind of tough sometimes. But that's not me. That's not who I am. You know, you don't, what you see on Sunday is just something that God's called me to do. And you just got to put on a presentation to do it. And sometimes we just kind of lull ourselves to sleep in this, in this kind of formality. And it's, well, I come to church, hear the music, do, you know, just go on in life. And, you know, nothing's changed. Nothing, everything's the same. That's, that's, that's formality. That's what I'm talking about. And it dishonors God. Quickly, bitterness. You know, bitterness, well, I mean, we preach all day on that. But, you know, when you, when you stop and you think of, of bitterness, I mean, I just kind of wrote some things down here. Think of this. You know, when you have unfulfilled expectations. I invited him to lunch and he didn't accept. I opened my life to him and he didn't follow up. I thought we'd become close friends, but instead he spends all his time with someone else. Unfulfilled expectations. Or maybe offended pride. Your correction was inaccurate. And I'm insulted that you'd even think that I could do such a thing. I'll never open my life to you again. Or jealousy. Why is that person the group leader? Can't the pastor see that I'm far more talented than that person? Why are they there? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? It's ridiculous. Gossip, slander, telling someone privileged negative information about another when the recipient is neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. That's what gossip is. Slander is the sp spreading of false information about somebody. And beloved, I'm not so naive to say that, you know, we, we've all gone there. We've all done these things. But it doesn't please God. And we need to confess it before Him. Last thing is elitism. You know, the idea that you're far and above everybody else and, you know, you, you're just, you know, looking down on us lowlies and, you know, those poor souls. You know, that doesn't please God. That's an attitude that is downright sinful before holy God. And sometimes it leads to this elite kind of little clicky thing, you know. You get one group that's... We're not into that. And, and it's very important that we understand that right at the outgo. You know what? We're in this together. We're called to be the body of Christ. We're called to bear one another's burdens. We're not called to be self-sufficient or just formal for formal formality's sake or bitterness, have bitterness in our heart or think that we're something we're not. I just want to close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank You this morning. and Lord, we pray that as we lay down this foundation for our, our small groups, Lord, we ask that You would um, speak to our hearts. Lord, that You would show us that in these groups, 
Um, it's not just another group. It's, it's something that you can use in our life to help us grow more like Christ. It helps us with our sanctification. helps us with our mutual caring for one another. helps us with our fellowship. And even in the area of using our gifts. Lord, as a Christian, I can't think of any good reason why we wouldn't participate together in something like this. Other than we're just so busy and our priorities are so out of whack. And God, we have to come back to you afresh. We have to confess once again that, you know what? You are Lord. And, and, and God, you're sovereign. And Father, you won't tell us to do something in your word that you don't allow us to do. You don't give us the means to do. For some of us, it, unfortunately, it just means that we need to make some hard decisions and changes. And Lord, we just pray this morning that you would speak to each one's heart. Encourage us, Lord, that you did put us in the body of Christ and that we can care for one another in a very dynamic way. And Lord, it shouldn't be a have to. It should be a want to. We should desire this more than anything. This should be the highlight of our week together. And then to think that we would have another time that we gather together with believers and worship you and, and have discussion and care for one another and pray for one another and see you work in a dynamic way. What an incredible thing. Lord, I pray you'd move and work in our hearts. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to put their faith or trust in you, I pray that they would understand that they can't have this kind of fellowship. It's off limits if they don't have fellowship with you first. If they haven't bent their knee and gone before you as their Lord and Savior and said, God, save me. I'm a sinner. I need your grace in my life. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm trying to work for things. Trying to live up to the, you know, the, 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 the ten do list, the do list that so many times we have in religious environments. You can't do this or you can't do this. That's ridiculous. God doesn't call us to a life like that. He calls us to a life that's liberty in Christ. That we do what pleases Him and we don't do what, what brings dishonor to Him. It's that simple. But if you're here this morning and you've yet to cry out to Him, I pray that you would, even now. Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the prayer that God will hear. And I guarantee you, you'll never regret it. We thank you, Lord. We pray you would just dismiss us with your blessing after this next song. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on up.